as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. It's August. That means it's back to school time. Are your kids up to speed with all the immunizations? Let me go to my family pediatrician and dear friend, Dr. Martin Garza. His practice is DLC there in Edinburgh. Okay, pal. So let's look at the vaccination schedule, different ages, um, you know, Going back to school, who needs to go back and what do they need to get and all that? Hey, hello there. Thank you for having me on. You this bet. is a pretty uh, a pretty busy time of the year for us. Mm-hmm. And so what we see a lot of right now is really going to be the 4-year-olds and the 11-year-olds. Those are the ones where, where we uh, do a lot of our uh, vaccinations, our back-to-school vaccinations. And so, uh, and so if you uh, are right in that area or you think you may have missed a, a four-year-old or 11-year-old vaccination, then I think it's time to check with your pediatrician or check with your family doctor and see if you need anything. And so four-year-olds, they will get boosters. They'll get MMR boosters, that's measles, mumps, rubella booster, a chicken pox booster. They also get a polio booster and a DTaP, diphtheria, tetanus, and whooping cough booster. Okay. So those are the four. Now, in, in my office, we use a combination of uh, DTaP and IPV. Uh, so that's, uh, that's one injection. So sometimes, check with your doctor, sometimes there's some uh, combinations available. MMR is also used in combination with varicella. So you can have uh, that in combination along with the IPV and the DTaP in combination. So those are really the four-year-old vaccines. Do they need to be spread out a certain amount of time, or can I? Yeah, I, you can give them at the same time. There is certainly nothing wrong with giving them at the same time. Now, keep in mind these are vaccinations that we've used for decades. Okay, yeah. so there's nothing experimental about these vaccinations. There's, there's, we know them backwards and forwards. I've used them in my practice for over 20 years. I'm very confident that you can give them all at the same time, w- without hesitation. Pediatrician Dr. Martin Garza from Edinburgh. We're talking about the vaccination schedule for the Huarquillos or the Huarquillos going back to school. And now you mentioned the four-year-old kids. Uh, what about the 11-year-olds? What, what's expected for them? The 11-year-olds. Yeah. Absolutely. So 11-year-olds are, um, there's actually two that the school district actually will look for. One of them is uh, called Tdap, tetanus, diphtheria, and whooping cough. Similar to the, uh, to the one that you give at four years, but uh, a little different in its formulation. It's specialized for, for seven years and older, uh, but that's the one we give at 11 years as a booster. So 11-year-olds, Tdap, tetanus, diphtheria, and whooping cough. Now, um, this one, surprisingly enough, is the one that, you know, if you, you know, step on a nail or get something, a cut or something rusty outside, they're all going to ask if you've had your tetanus booster. That's included in this, uh, in this vaccination. So the Tdap at 11 is, uh, is, uh, is when we do that. The second one that I give at 11 years of age is going to be a meningitis uh, um, 
vaccination. They call it a quadrivalent meningitis vaccination. That one is uh, is primarily uh, looking at a bacteria called Neisseria meningitis. There are four different strains that this one covers for. And so that one is also um, looked at by the school system okay. uh, to get uh, into the uh, in, in. Now, the third one that I want to mention here is uh, one that doesn't necessarily um, get you in or uh, get you into the school nurse, but it is highly recommended. So it's not required, but highly recommended. It's called the HPV vaccination, human papilloma vaccination. Um, the trade name is called Gardasil. And it helps in uh, it actually helps uh, decrease the risk in in, uh, in uh, females. It decreases the risk of cervical cancer. Uh, we still also give it to males, and that decreases the risk of genital warts, anal cancer, and we think it's going to help us with some of the throat cancers that are out there caused by this particular uh, strain of virus. And so we again we've been given these uh, all three of these have probably been given well over a decade already. Dr. Martin Garza, pediatrician here in the Valley. It's back to school time, people, and kids that need to get vaccination. Now, you did touch on, for example, 11-year-olds and meningitis. That's also an issue. Uh, there's a meningitis vaccine for college-age huercos, right? When they go back, they're supposed to get some type of meningitis. It's recommended or, or required. I, I don't re- that's, remember, right? That's that's one of them, actually. That's the one that the colleges will be looking at. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So that's a two-dose series. So that one's given at 11, and it's also given at 16 years old. So the booster is given at 16. Oh, okay. And so um, so, so that's the that's the one. Yeah. So if they got the booster at 16, they're good to go for college then? They, they should be good to go. Okay. Um, and then uh, there is one other type of meningitis vaccination called the uh, Neisseria meningitis type B uh, that one would be uh, important. It's not required for school or for college, but it is important for you to talk to your uh, to your doctor about the, the benefits of getting that one as well. When you do sports physicals, um, some of these athletes or kids that might be going into more sports, what are you checking for? Like how strong their heart is, heart palpitations, um, arrhythmia? That, what are you looking yeah, for? Yeah, definitely. So okay. sports physicals... Um, Sports physical is just a little bit different from your your, your annual checkups uh, in that I would be um, asking different kinds of questions. So I'm going to be asking questions like, how is your exercise tolerance? Have you ever had any fainting, any near syncope or near fainting? Um, have you had any trouble with uh, palpitations of your heart? Um, and then we would go through a couple of different uh, kind of couple of different ways that I would uh, look at the heart. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd look at it sitting down, look at it lying down, and uh, and, and listen to it standing up. Uh, in addition to some of the other uh, some of the other things that we're looking for uh, that would increase our risk or our uh, increase our suspicion that there may be uh, pathology happening in the heart. So that's primarily the the biggest things. A lot of it will come from the history, things that you're going to tell me or not tell me. Um, like those questions that, that that I just went through, and then the rest is going to come from the physical exam, where I'll be able to listen to your heart and make sure I'm not hearing anything suspicious for a cardiac anomaly. Yeah, that's mainly what you're looking for, right? Is any ticker problems, heart problems? That's the big one, right? Absolutely, okay. that's the big one. Absolutely, right. you don't want to look at that. Uh, um, otherwise, you're also looking at uh, at some of the more specialized things. I mean, there's a, there's a few. Um, 
a few other other things that uh, that we look at. Obviously, the um, your back bending, uh, the scoliosis. mandibular exam, and, okay. the, and uh, you know you have your, the the testicular exam. You also have uh, some of the chronic illnesses that are out there, like asthma, um, mm. and uh, and certainly some of the lung problems that can happen. That you'd be looking at, uh, making sure that they're uh, set up uh, nicely with their medications. Full throttle towards the fall and flu vaccines as well. When do you start receiving those, the, the flu vaccines? So, yes, flu vaccines are going to be coming probably around September is usually All about right. the time that people really start talking about that one. Well, I know, I know you're super busy right now with the kids going back to school and people seeing you for all yep. sorts of things. Appreciate your time, Martin. Big hug to you and all the yeah. crew. And we'll see you I'll see you soon with my wet course as well. That's uh, pediatrician, yes, pediatrician Dr. Martin Garza here from Edinburgh. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. To running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news. And to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it, it's free. First day of school for all the gang at IDEA Public Schools. Area Superintendent Jill Dominguez joining us again this year. Well, here we go, Jill. Another year. Boy, summer went by too fast. Uh, one issue that I suspect is on the minds for a lot of parents, Jill, is security. So what has IDEA done to help improve security You know, in light of what happened up in West Texas a few weeks back? Yeah, first off, we're so excited to be welcoming students back. Um, this year, we're welcoming back over 35,000 students across the RGV, and our IDEA staff, you know, obviously can't wait to see the kids. We know that it's going to be a pretty wonderful year, and you're absolutely right. Campus safety idea is really a top priority for our students, for our staff, for, for the families. And so we've been um, working on safety-related protocols in all of our schools, um, our campuses offer multi-level safety and security program for our, all schools. We believe that this is the best way. You can't just talk about physical safety. You also have to talk about emotional safety. So this year we have a focus on both. Traffic is going to be crazy over the next several days. Usually, how long, how many weeks does it take to finally work out the kinks where everything's flowing real nice and getting everybody to work and or getting everybody back home at the end of the day. Traffic in the first week of school is always an issue. So we just really tell families just to be patient. You know, the best things that we can say are to arrive early. We know you're in a rush trying to get your kiddos uh, to school and then you off to work, but it's, it's best if you could arrive early to avoid that heavy um, traffic that comes that last moment, like right before the bell rings, it always it always gets really backed up. Um, normally, it takes us about, I would say, one week for the traffic to 
clear out and to be um, everyone to kind of find their role and the, the time they're going to come. Um, and then it, it becomes better for everyone. So please be patient this first week. We know that things do get better. It happens every year. Um, and it's easy to get frustrated. Uh, yeah, when you're in a rush. So yeah. come early. So yeah, don't especially going to work in the morning. Joe Dominguez, area superintendent, Idea Public Schools, day one of school for all the gang at Idea. Busing or le- more or less parents opting for the busing route. That is one option that could diminish traffic, minimize traffic early in the morning and the afternoon. We, we have a incredible bus ridership. Many of our students ride the bus, and we're actually really proud of that because we know that it, it helps reduce traffic, it helps our environment, it helps parents um, to get to work on time. So overall, busing is an incredibly positive thing. Um, but we do see some parents wanting to drop off those first few days because the kids are nervous. They want them to feel comfortable. They want to make sure they know where they're going. So um, we understand that those first few days, you know, some parents will drive, but the buses are there and we're ready to serve. Yeah, Suck it up, kid. I'm late to work, man. we got to diminish the traffic. <laughs> uh, enrollment, up or down overall in the area? What would you say, Jill? Our enrollment has increased this year. We've actually um, opened up some new grade levels. Remember, as IDEA grows, our schools grow, we add a grade level each year until we're fully scaled. So this year, we're excited to be welcoming. We have a first graduating class um, coming from IDEA Sports Park in Brownsville. Um, and across the RGV at many of our schools, we're adding grade levels. Do you have new campuses uh, you're christening this year? Or what, what, how's the expansion overall at IDEA? Because at, at, at one point, it was at breakneck speed. It, it's got to be a bit uh, a bit more uh, controlled and mild. Yeah, right we, now. yeah. <laughs> we've slowed a bit in terms of opening up schools um, with COVID. And, 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 you know, that's true. Right now, we, are, we didn't open up any schools here in RGV, but we have definitely added a school in, in terms of numbers of enrollment. So, um, with with the number of new students coming to our campuses this year, it's almost like opening up a new school. So we're continuing to grow until we fully scale out all of those schools. We have 51 schools here in the Valley, um, and so there's still a lot of growth to happen. Jill Dominguez, Area Superintendent, Idea Public Schools, day one for all the Idea campuses in the area. Now, back to the security issue. One thing that I did notice mm-hmm. is mesh backpacks and clear backpacks are back, but on the hardening of campuses what can you tell parents as far as either a security or cops or mm-hmm. you know on the physical side to harden the campus what can you tell parents on day one yeah i i know that all of us were really deeply saddened and affected by the the tragedy of all day and you know across texas we have elevated safety protocols at all schools so this year we did safety and security audits um, to strengthen our campuses and to really just figure out what we needed to improve to be even more uh, safe for our students. So in general, we we have closed campuses, which means our visitors can only enter through the main office and they must first be granted access. There's a locked and closed gate. So uh, any visitor must get through that security. Our classrooms uh, all have our safe and secure spaces with locked doors. Um, we do have an emergency response team on any on every single campus that addresses any tasks, uh, any concerns with safety and emergency response. A big a big part is training the staff and practicing. 
Um, and we follow what's called the standard response protocol, which means everyone is practiced, everyone is trained and practiced in emergency management, all those evidence-based protocols, um, and so that, <coughs> excuse me, so that throughout the year, we know that we can be ready in case there is any type of emergency. Yeah. Training the staff, hardening the campus, a unique challenge I know for the public charter. Uh, I say this in light in conversations we have with other school districts in the area, um, Harlingen, and Edinburgh, you know, all these folks that have police, police forces, they have actual cops, right, and even responses mm-hmm. that are police. You, you must have a, a special relationship with police departments at, at the various cities that you're at in, in order to develop that response team, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, we have schools in several communities throughout the RGV, so we work with the local police department and the sheriff's office. They've been really instrumental um, in breeding confidence with our students and staff in the community that we're all working together. Um, Our local police department, you know, they'll cruise by, they'll stop by our schools, they call us to let us know there's a threat in the area. Um, And you may even see our local officers, uh, we have them uh, some off-duty officers uh in the morning at drop-off and pick-up supporting with traffic management yeah, so you see them. we definitely have relationships and a presence with our local police force all right continued success and best of luck jill to you and all the crew at idea from idea public schools first day to school for ideas today that's jill dominguez Your Houston Astros play here. And he drives this one up the middle. That's a base hit. Catch Astros baseball action all season long on News Talk 710 KURV. Deep to left field. Kiss it goodbye. Every hit. Every home run. First pitch and he drives it. Left field. Good one. It's out of here. Astros baseball is powered by F&T Valley Motorsports, Riverside Development Services, Taco Olay, MissionIncredible.com, and News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. In the event there's a tropical system in the Gulf of Mexico, Churning this way. You want to keep it tuned to 710 KURV. Stay informed during hurricane season. Tropical coverage 2022 on air and online at KURV.com. Made possible by Mike's Plumbing, Electrical, and AC, Vega Roofing, McAfee Insurance, and Elephant Building Materials. Low water at the Valley Reservoirs. We're hoping that perhaps good Lord can take care of that, put some water in there soon. Meantime, we're looking at levels approaching record lows at the Rio Grande Valley Reservoir. Stephen Sanchez, el primo, uh, joining us from the Alamo Water Entity. And uh, let's start there, Steve. Who do you provide water for? Uh, cities and, and local farmers. What area is it, Steve? Well, good morning, Sergio. Uh, and uh, yes, North Alamo Water Supply. We are located uh, on the, in Edinburgh, on the east side of Edinburgh. We provide water to the eastern part of Hidalgo County, all of Willisie County, and the northwestern part of Cameron County. Ooh, that's a big stretch of people. How many customers, Muscleman, is what, what do you have, Steve? 
we've got a little bit over 53,000 connections, that's and amazing. that's kind of equivalent to about uh, a little more than 225,000 population. The low water levels at the Rio Grande Valley, at the, the watershed, what does that do into your operations, either in portions that you provide growers or some of the conversations you're having with with the municipalities that you're providing water for? Well, basically, we are a, a, a portable water system, just like a, a city is, just like the city has a water plant. We do the same thing that they do, but we do it for the people in the rural area and some areas in the incorporated boundaries of a city. As they grow out, we continue to serve within our service area. So uh, <clears throat> it, it's a challenge. We've been trying to buy as much water rights as we possibly can to provide service to to our customers we need somewhere between 28,000 to 30,000 acres of water to provide service to our customers the problem that i see that we're having is that our farmers uh which use about 80 percent of that water that we have in Amistad and, and falcon if, if they start running out of water we cannot carry our water to our water plants because then their water's gone and we have to fill up those canals 28k acre feet of water that's a daily number steve no, no, no. That's an annual number. Oh my goodness! I'm going. Man, that's. I know it's fifty-three thousand people. I'm sorry. I'm learning all the math when it comes to all the water. Uh, Stephen Sanchez is with the North Alamo Water Supply Corporation. And Mr. Sanchez, Tim Sullivan here. Your corporation has a couple of desal plants, correct? Uh, we have uh, reverse osmosis. Five desal plants, which are reverse osmosis. Okay. Uh, and uh, it, it's pretty much mining the brackish groundwater, which we have a whole lot of down, down here. Our uh, hydrogeologist says that there's enough water here to last us about 100 years, and, and it keeps uh, recharging itself. So there is a lot of brackish water. Now, I know Southmost out of Brownsville, they've got their centralized uh, plant. Um, uh, they're close to Olmito. We, on the other hand, we have smaller plants at our surface water treatment plants. This way, we utilize the existing infrastructure, the land, the distribution lines, and we can also blend the the RO water with the surface water. It makes it a lot more efficient for us. In a previous interview you did last week with the guys on the 956 Drive Home, uh, also on 710 KURB, you suggested more cities need to go with um, alternative water devices. Um, and it's, a, it's an expensive proposition, uh, as you well know, because uh, you have, uh, you know, these desalination plants. But is that, is that a viable way to go? And is it, I mean, because right now, with the water levels being as they are at Falcon and Amistad, it seems like that, uh, that might be the way to go in the future. Yes, yeah, it, it is. And, and again, like I've told everybody, it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to take care of everything. <clears throat> but it, it is a good tool to have mm-hmm. in your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do about 10 million gallons of uh, reverse osmosis water. Of the 36 uh, uh, million gallons that we, that we need every day, uh, about one-third of it is reverse osmosis. Now, it's expensive, but if you plan, if you do your research, you can have it done within three to four years or sooner uh, because it is a, a little bit different. It's higher technology, but it is very important because once the farmers run out of water, you're going to be in, in, a, in a pickle to try to get your water from the, uh, the Rio Grande. 
do we need a great big giant desal plant to take water from the Gulf? That is, that is a lot more expensive water. Uh, yes, it would help, but the, the, the ratepayers here in the Valley cannot afford that infrastructure on their, on their own. Wow. We need our federal representatives, our federal senators, to go ahead and try to get the federal government to come in and partner with us to try to get that done. And I'm talking about grant money. We, we need it. Our, our citizens need it here. When we spoke with the Brazel PUB entity a few days back, they were explaining some of the brackish water that they clean up. Um, by the way, our guest is Stephen Sanchez. He's with the North Alamo Water Supply uh, corporation. He's the GM out there. And he uses um, North Alamo. They use some, some brackish water. They clean it up with their desal processes. In Brownsville, they said that they're able to recover from brackish water about 70%. And then they've got all this brine and salty crud that I don't know what they do <laughs> where they, they put it. If you go to the Gulf of Mexico, that's way too salty. you have any idea what the uh, salvage rate would be, Steve? Would it be 50%? Would it be 25%? with a whole bunch of brine and salty crud left over. you have any idea what it would be out of the Gulf of Mexico? Sergio, to be honest with you, I, I really do not uh, know uh, as far as salt uh, water, but, but just, just kind of do the math. The brackish water that, that, that we use is anywhere from 3,000 parts of salt to 5,000. And, uh, and yes, uh, uh, Brownsville PB is right. We can, we can pull out about 70 to 75% of that. So I believe um, seawater is somewhere about uh, forty or forty-five thousand parts of salt. So <laughs> if, if we're able to salvage that much out of the uh, 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 the brackish, which uh-huh. is you know that much lower, you know you can see what you're going to get some out, but not that much. And think of the energy that it's going to take yeah. to run through those membranes to remove that salt out of there. What do you do with the leftovers? All that brine? Uh, we're going to start. You know, a, a, a pickle well, pickle company, well, it's, it's, Mexican it's snacks. What? Because we're we're permitted by the DCEQ to discharge into the uh, drainage system here, which is the, all the drain ditches that go out to the Laguna Madre. Wow! And our our permit is at twelve thousand parts, and we cannot drop anything in there that that exceeds that. So it's below twelve thousand parts. So we we dump it in the ditches, and it and it goes out to the Laguna Madre. And the aquatic life, the plants, and everything that are around the ditches. They have not been hurt or anything, but okay. that goes through. Now, the higher amount, my understanding is El Paso, uh, they've got the, at the K. Bailey Hutchinson plant, they're recovering that and trying to use that salt into fertilizers and, and, and other products to be able to, you know, to, to, sell, to sell, sell it off. Since you are the main water source supplier to all these rural residents, I mean, do you, are you in a situation where you are contacting them, say, hey, gang, we're going to improvise a stage two or stage three water conservation thing uh, for a few days until we get back up at the watershed? Are you speaking with them directly, yes. your customers? Yes, we are. Basically, our, our trigger point, and we call it stage three, and stage three, it goes into mandatory water conservation. Our stage two was, was all voluntary. Well, stage three but puts it into now it's mandatory. And we've already started notifying the, uh, the news media. Uh, we're putting it on the, in, in the papers. We're uh, mailing out in, uh, to our customers uh, the actual notice of what they can and can't do. Okay. The, we we want to be mindful and, and, and be, be uh, conserved. But 
penalties will really not start until September. The water that they use starting in September, giving them time. I don't want to. We don't want to catch anybody off guard. But at that point is when the surcharges will start okay. uh, going into effect. If anybody that uses ten thousand uh, gallons of water per month or more. Okay, Steve. Thank you for the update, and we hope the water situation at the reservoir is resolved by then. That's uh, Stephen Sanchez with the North Alamo Water Supply Corporation. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. We have a new leader at the Rio Grande Valley Partnership, or Valley Chamber, former leader from Mission Economic Development Efforts, Dan Silva, our guest right now. Well, Dan, congratulations. Uh, Before we move forward, let's take a quick look back to your tenure over at Mission, some of the highlights, success stories, and things that you're proud of when you were sitting over at Mission. What do you say, Dan? Good morning, sir. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. Um, I mean... The city of Mission has accomplished a lot over the last two decades. I started in 2004, and this was back before we had the Target and HB on Sherry Road. This was before the uh, the expressway was what it was, I and mean, it was it was really just two lanes, and it was uh, there was a lot of construction that had to had to take place, and quickly did so afterwards. Uh, we, we had Gonzalo Lewis Bridge that came in. We had all of that infrastructure that was um, that came on board. We had. Uh, more retail that, that came on board. We had Frito Lay. Um, we had High Tech Plastics. We had Vanity Fair in the industrial park. And um, and over the last 20 years, we, we saw a lot of change in the industrial park. We saw uh, World Technologies come in. Uh, they first started with High Tech Plastics as a partnership, and then uh, they built a 350,000 square foot facility. Uh, we saw the the old High Tech. I mean, the old Frito-Lay building turned into uh, into multiple uses. One was uh, CalStrip Steel, which was out of out of New Mexico and uh, and the Arizona area, and they uh, you know they do a lot of steel product. Uh, they they rail it in and and they punch for uh, a lot of our appliances that we have in, in our homes. Uh, we saw the expansion of uh, of medical. We started to see. Uh, the the stand up the standing freestanding ER centers. Uh, we saw the change of uh, the juicing facility uh, when Wonderful Citrus came in and they bought up a lot of the uh, a lot of the farms and started their own uh, their own operations. They turned uh, uh, the juicing facility into uh, Wonderful Citrus's uh, juice plant. We saw a lot of retail development that that boomed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, a lot of things took place in Mission over yeah. the past 20 years, which I, I feel excited to say that I, I was able to, 
uh, to be a part of. Yeah, impressive growth over a decade plus, almost two decades uh, there in mission. And being the leader of EDC, you're right in the thick of it. And I recall a conversation with the previous mayor, how he was so excited about uh, upcoming high-rise projects, um, uh, international investment, in the area west mission some apartment buildings going up multi-level buildings also for offices and, and also a pending investment near ansaldúas for for logistics uh, are all those projects now that you've left mission do you, you think those projects are still on track to becoming a reality in west mission also near the bridge i believe that there's a lot of projects that we're going to see come on board that we've been working on for the past couple of years there in the city and and so the short answer yes i think a lot of them will the high rise, you know, it's a it's, it's a great project. Uh, it'll bring a lot of um, a lot of residential. Uh, it'll bring a, a, a new mix into that area, and I have uh, I'm positive that we're going to see some growth there. The investment around the bridge, you know, also in you know in my tenure there at the EDC, we uh, we worked a lot on infrastructure, um, have getting all that area ready. Yeah, uh, I also yeah. you know manage the tourism. We put in a lot of infrastructure there, so. Uh, with the Killam family, Killam development, there's a 175-acre industrial park that is um, actively under construction, and that's right around the bridge. So, yeah, I, I think that a lot of the projects that we were working on recently are going to come to fruition. Yeah. Um, before I throw it to Tim, the uh, international trucks, when, they, when do they cross? Uh, fully commercial at uh, at Ansel Lewis? When does that happen? A year? Uh, yeah, so they're saying, oh, I mean, we had the announcement a couple days ago, the $87 million that that are going to be used for construction that have been secured for that. So they're talking about uh, 12 to 18 months for the construction All right. and, and getting them you know, fully done. For. Dan Silva, former leader of economic development efforts at Mission. He's now the new leader for the Rio Grande Valley Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, Dan, Tim Sullivan here. As you know, uh, there's been a lot of effort just over the last few years especially to bring the valley together as as one region to lessen the competition between the lower and upper valley. Um, the new MPO, of course, at the center of that effort. What what will be your role as head of the Valley-wide Chamber in furthering that effort when it comes to bringing new business and industry to the valley? Because right now the lower valley seems to be leading in, in that regard. Good morning, Tim. Yeah. So, you're right. The MPO merger was was a big deal. The the UTRGV system that came together to bring, you know, the UT Pan Am and UT Brownsville together. Um, you know, those were great efforts to have the region start to unify. And we need to, you know, to compete against all of the major metros. We need to, um, and, and that's setting us on the right path. I, in the seat as the president and CEO at the partnership, my objective with my background in economic development is to have all the region uh, be be represented equally represented. You know, we have a lot of transportation projects that are underway that are going to help unify. Um, you know, the marketing of the of the region as a whole is going to be a big push for me because I think that there's facets in every county, there's facets in every city, or assets in every city that um, that we need to be able to to market and and use as as attraction. I mean, we have a lot of ports of entry. We have uh, we have a rail system. We have you know the island, which is a great draw. We have uh, airports. There's there's just a lot of economic uh, engines that we have that now that you know, we start moving together is going to be uh, a great message for, for the region. So to the question of what am I going to do, you know, with my mindset in economic development, I understand, you know, what the businesses are looking for. I want to start to try to feature those. I want to try 
to work with all the cities, all the counties in Hidalgo, Cameron, Star Willisie, um, and to get them all on board. Uh, I've already been talking with the, uh, with the COG. You know, the COG does have the Council of Governments. Mm-hmm. They have uh, objectives and initiatives that they carry out, and I want to partner with them because they, they have historically worked directly with the cities and the EDCs, and, and I want to magnify that also. One of the big deals for the Rio Grande Valley Partnership, too, is to bring lawmakers, as many lawmakers as you can, down to the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, lawmakers who, I don't know, for whatever reason now, still may not be all that familiar with what's going on down here. Uh, and I'm guessing that you're going to continue that and that uh, with the legislative session starting again next year, that that group of lawmakers will, will be here around that time? Yes, it's very important, I think. You know, as we have the lawmakers uh, busy in their work up in Austin, you know, if they don't know what they're, if they do not know what it looks like here at the local level, a lot of the policy reform that they're making you know, there in Austin, is, it's, it doesn't have the same feel or same impact, uh, I believe, because you know, they're not familiar with our needs. The legislative tour is, is very important. Uh, the partnership has been successful in doing that over the last number of years. And yes, I, I plan to continue that. We're looking at the last week of January. Okay. Um, to having them come in, I believe that's the 25th, 26th uh, time frame. We're looking at the lower valley, uh, using the island as our, as our home base. And uh, I'm going to start going up to Austin and, and reminding all of, all of our representatives of the date uh, we're still having we're, we're still formulating our stops but yes it's going to be something that i'm uh, i'm very active and and wanting to be able to do because i think it's great for our region to bring in um, as many people as we can to see touch uh, you know feel to understand who we are and and, and what our makeup is because we are very unique you know, a lot of people don't understand yeah understand us but and any lawmaker not familiar with the RGV about to get a violent shove into reality, uh, thanks to the uh, coming gubernatorial debate at UTRGV in Edinburgh, uh, going to be broadcast statewide here pretty soon. We wish you the best, Dan, uh, and hopefully hopefully in the future we'll talk about other important issues. I know the Valley Chamber has always been a leader when it comes to water issues and desal and, and other issues that are important to infrastructure in South Texas, too. Again, sell the region as, as a whole. Thank you, Dan. Best of luck. Dan Silva, new leader of the Rio Grande Valley Partnership. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. When assistance program will be sunset very soon. Jaime Longoria is with the with County Services Agency joining us right now. Tell me about this program, Jaime. Can people sign up before everything comes to an end? It, I believe it's the end of the month. Well, right right now, what we're doing. Good morning, good morning, guys. Good, what we're doing right now is we're sorting through 
uh, those applications, uh, kind of those last-minute applications that were received in the, in the month of June, the month of July, and uh, and a few a few in the month of August. So we've got uh, we've got some priority applications already in the queue, ready to be paid. Those are families that are really really kind of at the point of uh, almost the point of no return. They're they're at the point where they need the funds. So we're prioritizing those applications. Those are about a about 180, 175 applications that we're processing, uh, getting that money in the hand of the landlords. Then our second priority, of course, is to work with those families that we had already put into the approved status, and we're working towards uh, getting those paid uh, probably the better part of next week. Uh, and after that, we're looking at uh, there's a there's a, a huge uh, number of applications that we received, as I mentioned, during the month of June and July, kind of at the last minute. Um, and, and we'll work through those, and whatever whatever we have left, whatever funds we have left at that point, we'll have to determine whether we open the window again and, and provide some services uh, into the future. Okay, so you'll be able to punt those into the next fiscal year, potentially? Or we're talking about some COVID money? Is, is that what it is? That, that's right. We've got some we've got some, some funds that were really reallocated uh, by by the folks at uh, a couple of, you know, a couple of departments of the county to to help us uh, see if we can help some more families kind of uh, kind of towards the end of, of the fiscal year. Jaime Longoria is with the Community Services Agency, Hidalgo County, our guest. I mean, Tim Sullivan here. So how many families are at real risk of being evicted, uh, of losing that roof over their heads in the near future? You know, Tim, good morning. The, 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 the most difficult thing about this pandemic is really trying to put a gauge on it, you know, and trying to trying to measure that. What I, what I can tell you anecdotally is is we, we're seeing a real increase in in families who are struggling. You know whether that's the pandemic combined with uh, the inflationary pressures combined with landlords who are just tired. You know landlords who are tired of of uh, having gone through the moratorium and carried uh, and carried tenants in some cases eight ten months without uh, without any revenue. Uh, so what we're seeing is a real rush of families coming in and 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 really asking for help. Uh, the numbers are much higher than they were during the pandemic uh, wow. with regards to rental assistance. Really? Um, you indicated, where have you been able to find some some new funds? Uh, where, where have you been able to find some new funds outside of the federal uh, emergency rental assistance to assist these folks who are at real risk of being evicted? Well, we've recycled some funds, and, oh, okay. and, and some of these funds we were struggling to move early on in the pandemic because we had this this, this large uh, uh, emergency rental assistance fund, uh, we had some urban county funds that uh, that uh, we had been trying to push. It's a it's a little different kind of paperwork, but nonetheless, it fits in very nicely with uh, with the model and with the families that we're trying to assist. So, uh, you know, we're we're optimistic that those funds can be uh, recycled and reused for for families that uh, that need the assistance. Okay, but the key here, though, is for folks to apply for the assistance because the county had to return you know millions of dollars in federal funds because they went unused and i know your agency has done a lot of outreach to make folks aware of these monies but what more can be done to ensure that county residents who need these dollars actually have access to them you know, you know, Tim. That's that's the the million dollar question. Literally, you know, we we advertise English and Spanish. We we've done everything. We implemented every one of the flexibilities that that uh, the federal government allowed us to to implement by making it easier for you know people were able to submit attestations for income. 
Uh, we were very flexible with identification. We wanted to make sure that all residents of Hidalgo County were able to apply. Uh, you know, we, we, we thought we did, uh, you know, as much as we possibly could, and, and, and yet we still returned millions of dollars. Wow. We're really working hard to, to continue to get the word out. We encourage people to apply. We know that there's, there is some burden for families to provide documentation, but, but that's with any kind of assistance, you know, and that's what I tell families is, is uh, we, we do have to be good stewards of the money. We have to do uh, some due diligence, and we have to uh, provide the feds with the information that they require. And, uh, and for that, you know, we ask families to be patient. And, and if we ask for further documentation, it's not because uh, we want to make life hard on people. And, and it's actually the opposite. You know, we want to make life uh, as comfortable as we can, as good as we can for families. But at the same time, you know, we ask families to, to do their part and help us out by, uh, by applying and providing the documentation that we require. Jaime Longoria Community Services Agency, Hidalgo County Rental Assistance Program, coming to an end at the end of the month. But from what I hear, it seems maybe some of the leftover funds might be kicked uh, down the road for a, a restart of the program. Now, you mentioned uh, that was going to be one of my questions as far as the paperwork required, the documentation. Uh, what is it, Jaime? We're looking at contracts between the uh, renter, the uh, property owner. Uh, we're looking at what bank statements, citizenship. Uh, what, what do they need in order to, uh, to qualify for this? What should they prepare? Right. And obviously we need, we need both sides of the equation. We need the tenant side as well as the landlord side. Yeah. So the tenant, the tenant needs to, requ- we, we require some form of identification. Uh, citizenship varies with the program. You know, it's, it's, we've been able to help families who are, who provide uh, kind of alternative documentation for, 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 for residency. We also uh, require, of course, income information. So we'll ask for the last 30 days of income. Mm. Uh, if they receive any kind of benefits, Social Security income or, or SSI, anything to that effect, we would ask for proof of that income. We also obviously ask for a, a, a statement saying that they have rent due or they're, they're, they're actually in a rental situation. We'll also need a contract. And, and it, can be a, it can be as simple as taking a sheet of paper and, and writing down, you know, I'm Jaime Longoria. I rent from Tim, Tim Sullivan, and I, and I pay $500 in rent. <laughs> and you both sign it, and, and that's, that's provided. On the uh, landlord side, we're going to require uh, some, some uh, W-9 information because we want to make sure that, that those, uh, those funds are, are actually going to a, a known tenant, and a known entity. So we require that. Uh, we'll require, uh, you know, proof of ID and, and proof of ownership of the property. So we'll ask for a, a tax statement or something to the effect that uh, that they own the rental property. Uh, you know, I don't have to tell you guys that, that you know we've been challenged in the past with with uh, some questionable kinds of documents and and uh, and and that's okay. stuff that we have to uh, be good stewards of. And again, so, this is uh, um, Jaime. This is just for individuals and families, right? But businesses do—they don't qualify for this rental assistance thing, do they? They—they uh, they do not qualify. Okay. That's right. Under these programs, they—they uh, they don't qualify. This would be for for a family. Does the county have something for businesses still, Jaime? Do you still have something for businesses, small businesses? I, you know, I've—I've I've never had any money. Okay. I, I, I do know that that, that uh, the, the county did run a little program, and I know that. Several cities, I, I'm aware of Edinburgh ran a program, and, okay. and other cities in, 
uh, run a program for business. Yes, sir. Well, Tommy Hyman, is Tim a benevolent landlord, or is he constantly banging on your door demanding <laughs> that you pay up rent? Huh? <laughs> Explain. That's part of that's part of my my uh, my confidentiality. <laughs> All right, so, there we go. Like Full disclosure: I'm the latter. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you, Jaime. And uh, again, I call the Community Services Agency in Hidalgo County for more information on that okay. rental assistance program. Anything else? Final thought, Jaime. Go ahead. Just, just thank you guys for helping us to get the yes, word sir. out, and, and you know, rest assured, we're doing everything we can to, to let folks know about this uh, last rush, and we, you know, we want people to to, to be aware of that. From okay. Community Service Agency, Jaime Longoria. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.